listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Amen. A little new song for us. I like that song. How are you this morning? Okay. Everybody doing okay, I hope. Good to be here. Megan, good to see you. Sorry, I just noticed you. Just, I was talking to you, but also that Megan. Well, <laughs> see if I can lower this just a little bit. Oh, Suzanne. You know it is. You know it is. It's good to see all of you. Let me see if I can get this here. I always choose the wrong knobs. There we go. <clears throat> all right. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. Good to be uh, teaching this morning again. I'll ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. So we are finally finishing up this chapter. Not this week. Don't get, don't get too ahead of me. Don't get too ahead of me. My plan is to, to, to uh, do this week and then uh, finish up next week. And so that's, that's the current plan. Um, last week, of course, we were, we were so blessed to have Matt come <clears throat> and share with us what he's been doing uh, for God's kingdom over the past year. And uh, what a wonderful blessing that was to hear his heart in, in, in that and, and to hear how God used our prayers and our financial resources here to minister to those uh, all the way across the world for the sake of the gospel. That's, that's an awesome thing to think about. And that's what I was thinking when I heard, um, and I want to name, I want to be very careful with naming names and things this morning, but when I heard them speaking about their mission, just, you know, how awesome that we can play a part in that from, from, from East Tennessee you know, to, to India. Um, so, um, but it was such a wonderful thing to hear Matt, not only Matt's heart, but also um, the video and, and the heart of the ministry that Matt worked with. Um, and just to see his joy, I think, you know, his joy in Christ really, really strengthened me in, in the Lord. I don't know about you, but, um, but I, w- I was certainly strengthened in the Lord. And it was exciting for me to hear his plan for, for the future of, of their ministry and um, the future with how the gospel will be made great in, in their community. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I would, I would encourage you to get with, get with Forrest um, and see if you can get, get your hands on a copy of, of last week so that you can look at it. Uh, you can take a, take a look. Um, again, we didn't post it out of just an abundance of caution, uh, wanting, to, wanting to be careful with, with names and, and, so what, and so much. Or in, we wanted to be careful with names because, um, you know, there are, there are places where it's just not safe to name the name of Christ openly. And so um, if you want to see that, get with Forrest on that. <clears throat> but this is, this is a relationship that I hope that our church can have for uh, a long time. And we'll be, we'll be talking about um, over the coming weeks, Steve and I will be talking about how, how our church can play a role in what they're doing over there. Um, and I'm very excited about that and how fitting that today um, 
our study through the book of 1 Corinthians has led us to this section on giving this morning. Giving of our resources for the sake of, of the kingdom. That is the focus of the first part of, of chapter 16. And as I said, you know, over the coming weeks, um, Steve and I will be bringing to you guys a chance to, to be a part of not only our church, local giving, um, but also what's going on across the world in, in the ministry that Matt talked about last week. And, and you'll, have a per, you'll have a personal opportunity to support um, what, they're doing, what God's doing in that area. So let's see this morning what the Bible has to say about our role in giving financially to His kingdom. Um, if you've been with us for um, a while, there, there's, there's, there's a couple things regarding this that, that you probably know. First of all, we don't talk about giving very much here. Uh, we, we preach expositionally through books of the Bible, and we talk about giving when it's in the book. And it's not actually um, that uh, frequent that, that it comes up. But we want to know the Bible in context. And here we are in this text, and how fitting that it, that it actually uh, fits with kind of, um, kind of what Stephen and I have been thinking about um, over the past week or so, as we heard Matt talk last week. Um, but we're just speak, preaching the Bible through context, so in context. So um, we don't talk about giving a whole lot. Secondly, you know that uh, we don't have any paid staff here at the church. We, we, uh, all of us who who do anything really for for the church, including Drew and myself and and Stephen and and all the others. Um, we don't, we don't get paid. We we support ourselves 100% uh, through through outside jobs, and so uh, that gives me a, a real freedom when talking about giving. Right? I can talk about giving. I don't have to be concerned about you thinking, well, he just wants more salary. Well, I don't have a sal- I don't have any salary. So <laughs> where are we going to go from there? Um, so uh, no 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 ulterior, ulterior motive this morning. Um, we just want to know what the Bible says about it, and it's important to God. And we want to see exactly, uh, exactly what he says about it. And if it's important to God, it needs to be important to us. Amen? Oh, that wasn't very good. If it's important to God, we want it to be important to us. Amen? Yeah, of course we want it to be important to us, even if it affects our pocketbooks. Amen? Okay, I like that. Got a, got a pretty good amen from that. Even if it affects our pocketbooks, we want to, we want to say, Lord, whatever you desire. Lord, we, we, we want to give you all. Whatever all is, um, we want to give it to you. Um, so we'll talk about giving this morning because it's in the text. So um, let's start by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, just verses 1 through 4 this week. And then hopefully next week we can get through the rest of the chapter. But if you'll stand with me, we're going to read. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you also must do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, uh, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. That's it. Um, Let's pray as we we jump into this text. Father... um, we just confess that we need you as we open we open uh, your word to this passage. We, we need you to illuminate our hearts, Lord. You speak to us this morning, Father, on this, this subject of giving. 
Um, Lord, just show us what you need to show us, Father. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Lord, encourage us where we need to con- uh, be encouraged. Lord, you, whatever we need this morning, Lord, that you know better than we do. Father, we ask for that this morning. That you would just um, strip us down, Lord. Strip our hearts down, Father. Uh, leave everything else, all, all distractions aside this morning. And let us just come together in worship of you. Father, as we open your word, I ask that you would move me out of the way. Speak through me, Father, to your people. I'm going to ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, uh, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been in chapter 15, and we have been immersed in this doctrine of the resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus, of course, but also our, as believers, our future resurrection and um, what that means and what our resurrection bodies are going to look like and what what heaven's going to look like and and what exactly are the implications of Jesus rising from the dead. Um, Last time we talked about how because of Christ, death has lost its sting. Amen? Because of Christ, death has lost its sting for believers has lost its power for believers. We do not have to be afraid even to face death. We have conquered death through Jesus. So we've just been getting lost in in this high and and wonderful doctrine of of the resurrection over the past few weeks. And and then we get to chapter 16, and and it seems that Paul makes a very abrupt change of of subject, doesn't it? It's like, oh, death has lost its sting. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Um, now concerning the collection. Now that's that's how, kind of how this reads here. Kind of, kind of how this reads. We've been in this high doctrinal place. And now we're getting to the very, very practical part of our Christian life. Maybe too practical for you this morning. Um, and Paul begins to talk about how this doctrine should affect even our bank accounts. And isn't that fitting? Because Paul knows and the Holy Spirit knows that being a Christian isn't something that just affects where we spend eternity. That's not what being a Christian is all about. That's not the whole deal. It's something that affects every fiber of our being. Christ changes us in regards to everything in our lives. And this resurrection theology is going to show up in our lives if we truly believe it. And it's also going to show up in our wallets if we truly believe it. In the way that we give, of course. If we, if we were going to build this kingdom culture, that's kind of the theme of, of this whole 1 Corinthians, building this kingdom culture. If we're going to build a kingdom culture... A culture that would do everything in response to the gospel of Christ. We must live with open hearts towards God's word. Amen? We have open hearts towards the word of God. But also we got to live towards, oh, we got to live with open hands with the resources that we have. Amen? Can I get your amen on that one too? Yeah? So, so let's go ahead, uh, dive into this this morning. We're going to be... Uh, looking at Christ-centered giving, that's what we'll call it, uh, for those of y'all taking notes. And, and we're going to approach this by really just asking a series of questions. We're going to approach it like that. Um, 
And the first question here is why should we give? Why should we give? And the answer is very short and sweet in this text, and it's found in verse 1. It says, now concerning the collection, for what? For who? The saints. For the saints. That's it. That's what, the, that's what he says. This is a collection for the saints. Now, in this text, we're talking about a very specific collection for a specific set of saints. But we get here the general pr- principle of giving in the church even today. Giving in the church is primarily for the livelihood of the saints and the work of the saints, the work of ministry. That's primarily what our giving is for. And remember that word saint, nothing special to it, it just means Christian. It just means fellow believers. So the collection, why should we give? Well, it's for the saints. That is the purpose. Now someone might say, well, well, what about the poor? And what about the poor that don't know Christ? Should we not care? Should we not give to them? Well, of course we're to give to them. Of course we're to give to the poor and the needy and even to the non-believing poor and needy. Of course we are. In fact, we're commanded as the church to give to anyone in need. Amen? Are we commanded to do that? Yes, we are. Each individual is commanded to do that, regardless of what they believe. We see that very clearly, I think, in Luke 10, when Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We also see it in Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about giving to the least of these in society. We also see it throughout Jesus' ministry of continually meeting the physical needs. He met spiritual needs, of course. But he met the physical needs, too, of pretty much everyone in his path. In fact, using our resources within the church to meet the physical needs of others is part of this work of the saints that we give to. That's part of it. So we see that the primary purpose of our funds funds is for uh, the saints, for the work of the saints, for the livelihood of the saints, Ministry costs money. It it always has. It costed money in the first century. And although our methods have changed a lot, um, the fact remains that it still costs a lot of money. Ministry is expensive. Even if you don't have paid staff, ministry is expensive. You got to have, like, you know, a place to do this. Yeah? You got bills to pay, you got people to send. We've got people to teach us. We want to take care of them. We've got resources that we need to buy to spread the gospel more effectively. Yeah? There's stuff. There's just stuff that costs money. Ministry is expensive. Now, this this collection in chapter 16 was was a particular collection um, to be given specifically for the believers in, the, in Jerusalem. Um, Paul, you can read about this really throughout the New Testament. Paul's asking several churches about this gift. Um, Paul also asked the churches in Galatia to contribute, um, and also several other churches throughout the known world. Uh, then Paul would have the money delivered to the saints at Jerusalem. Now, why Jerusalem? What's the deal here? Well, Jerusalem was a very, very, very poor city. 
Jerusalem was mostly funded by um, outside donors who were Jewish. And guess who Jews hate? At least in the first century, it was strong. Christians. And they don't, they don't want your Messiah. They didn't want their Messiah. Now they rejected the Messiah. And so uh, part of that rejection of the Messiah was severe persecution against the saints, especially in Jerusalem, which was highly populated with Jews. So the Jerusalem saints in particular were, were very, very poor. Uh, on top of that, there was a famine in the first century that, that didn't help. Um, so, so they were in dire straits. Uh, at first, all the believers in Jerusalem, remember, sold all their possessions. They lived off of that, gave to anyone that was in need. Well, eventually those resources run dry when there's nothing coming in. Right? So they were very, very poor. Um, and then and in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, we read this. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shut, shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Whew. Those are tough words. You see your brother in need and you don't give. How exactly do you explain that the love of God resides in you? And so the, the Corinthians and all the other churches around, they see their brothers and sisters in need in Jerusalem. The call is to give. They need the help. The love of Christ compelled them to give. Now there's another reason why this gift was, this particular gift was so important. Um, remember in the first century, especially when Christianity was first getting started, the tension between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians was high. Because Jewish Christians are thinking, why is God wanting to save the Gentiles now? And their view was, no, you come through the, you come through the Jewish people. God, salvation is for the Jews. Remember all that, you know, that? Read about that in Acts as well. And you can, it kind of comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. Um, Jewish Christians didn't see the point of Gentiles being saved for a while there. So the tension was high. So for the Gentile churches... Corinth is primarily a Gentile church, to raise this sum of money and give to this primarily Jewish Christian church, boy, that was a sign of great unity of the church worldwide. So it was an important gift for that um, reason as well, an act of unity uh, for the worldwide church of God. So we see here the purpose of giving. It's for the saints, not only supporting one body that you're associated with. That should be our primary giving, a local church body. But it's church bodies supporting other church bodies. That's why we give to our association here. We give to the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board to support other church bodies, other believers. This is why we take up special offerings like Lottie Moon and, and Annie Armstrong offerings. It's to support other believers and other church bodies around the world. We want to be a life-giving church to not only the people within our circles of influence, but also to believers around the globe, worldwide. And that's one reason that this mission, um, this, this hopefully partnership um, with India is very exciting to, to both Stephen and I. Um, it's an opportunity for our church body here in Johnson City, Tennessee, to have some role in what God is doing across the globe. How incredible is that?
And so in some way, we're, we're in the process of doing kind of the same thing that we're reading about here in 1 Corinthians 16, giving to another body. Okay, so the purpose, the work and the livelihood of the saints. We could go in much more depth about that. Y'all probably thinking that was way too much depth. But we could go into much more depth about it. We won't. Uh, we'll get on to the next question. How should we give? And when I say how in this sense, I mean what is our procedure for giving? How does it happen? Uh, within that procedure, we see the time that it's appointed to happen, and we see the way in which it happens. And first of all, Paul says it should happen on the first day of every week. We have evidence that the first day of the week, uh, the resurrection day, that was the day that, that Christian churches met in the first century and still is today. It's, it's, it's um, the first day of the week. And so Paul says each time the church comes together on that first day of the week, there should be a collection. In other words, our giving should be regular. It should be regular. Christians should not just live by the philosophy of, well, I'll just give when the Spirit leads. And when the Spirit really leads, that's when I'm going to give. Now, now some Christians do live by that philosophy alone, and I would venture to guess that those Christians give very little to the church. You know, it, it's funny how spiritual we can get when we don't want to do something that God commands that's really hard. Well, I, I, I just didn't feel like the Spirit leading me to give that money today. I just didn't feel it, you know, it didn't quite, he wasn't blowing in that direction, you know what I'm saying? So I just didn't. And then I haven't for months now because I just don't feel convicted on it. Okay, you don't have to feel convicted. You can just read it here in the text, guys. We're supposed to give. And you don't have to look any further than, than some of the media choices that we make each and every week to get this kind of attitude. Things that we watch or listen to that we refuse to deal with that are very clearly making light of sin or glorifying sin. But we choose to continue to watch because I, I don't really feel convicted on that one, that particular TV show. I don't, I don't know, like, I just don't feel the Spirit leading me to stop watching that, so I'm not going to stop watching that. Guys, let's not make, let's not muddy the waters of what's clear in Scripture. Amen? Sin is sin. We don't need to glorify sin with our media choices. Giving is good. We need to give because God says to give. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to have some spiritual experience to see if this, the time is right, the time is right. The time is now. God doesn't give us that out of just li li living by um, just how we feel the Spirit is, um, is, is blowing that day. Uh, he says it's to happen regularly. Now, that does not mean that on top of regular giving, you may not have some funds um, that you give as the Spirit leads. So let that be a part of your giving. Just don't let that be the only part of your giving. And in fact, I would encourage that. That's what Melissa and I do. We have funds set aside that we can use for whatever. Whatever, whatever need that comes up in the kingdom, we're able to give to that. And it's such a blessing to have that in those times. But you've got to plan ahead for that. You've got to plan ahead um, for that type of thing. So that's great. The, the uh, spirit-led giving is wonderful. Um, I would argue it's an important 
thing to do. I do that. But God also describes here this regular committed giving to the local church. And the method is that it's taken up each week and given to the leaders of the church to decide how best the church is to use it. In the early church, you can read this in Acts 4, it was the apostles who decided, they were given charge of deciding how to handle the money. Later that responsibility um, for certain things, at least, were given to deacons. Um, it was highly esteemed godly people of the church. They decide. And so today, it, it's still the church leadership decides. Uh, the elders, ultimately, in this church decide um, how best uh, to use the funds given. Yet again, another reason, guys, why it's so important. Like nominating an elder is not a, not a little deal. It's a huge deal. It's an enormous, enormous weight. And you need to take it seriously. You personally do. It's a big deal. Elders have a lot of weight, especially in this church. In a lot of churches. And I believe in the Bible. That's how it is. Godly men who will give an account to God for what they're doing here. Boy, that's a big way. And if you have, you have any aspirations of becoming an elder someday, boy, you better take that seriously, and I better see it. Stephen and I better see that you take that so seriously. It is of utmost importance. And there's some fear and some trembling that comes along with it. It's a big deal being an elder. And part of that big deal is money. You're in charge in some way of people's money. That's a huge, huge deal but the principle here um, is this procedure of regular giving God wants us to regularly be confronted that all we have is his anyway he want every week he wants us to he wants us to be reminded yeah you know it's all his and he wants us to be be like confronted with how we're spending our money every week Every week when that offering comes around, I'm like, ah, I don't have as much. Well, how much did you waste this week on yourself? You see what I mean? This, this confrontation. I'm not even sure it's a great practice just to have it directly deposited. I, I, we'll take it. But I, I'm not even sure it's a great pa- uh, process to just have it directly deposited and not ever think about it again. I want you to think about it. God wants us to think about it regularly about how we're budgeting our resources are we building up storing up treasures on earth or are we storing up treasures in heaven what does our money say about it you know i love psalm 50 um in in psalm 50 uh, god says i own the cattle on a thousand hills i I own he says all the animals of the field are mine he says if i were hungry i wouldn't tell you (laughs) If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world, all the world is mine and everything in it. Your money is not your money. It's God's money. It's already His. He owns it all. But this giving thing is a chance for us to take part in the work that He's doing. And He wants us to do it regularly. And you may give weekly or monthly or bi-weekly, whatever you do there. But the point is it needs to be regular. We need to be confronted regularly with where we're storing up 
our treasures. The next question is, who are the participants? Who does it? Who gives? And the answer is simple. In verse 2, each one of you, everyone in the church, giving is to be complete, 100% participation. That's what I read anyway. Each one of you. 100% participation. Now the reality in 2020 is that every statistic I've ever seen on giving of the church says that 5% or less of churchgoers tithes to the church. Now we'll talk about the tithe in a minute if that's even an appropriate measure. But, but 5% or less are doing that regular giving to the church. My goodness. So, so we, we, we're good with all the benefits of church ministry as long as it doesn't personally cost me anything. Is that right? What a sad state of affairs in church giving. I pray that won't be the case here. By the way, I don't know what you give. Stephen knows what you give. I, I don't know what you give, any of you. And I don't want to know what you give. But I want to give you the word. I want you to know what the word says about your giving. I don't plan to know at any time in the future what you give. But what a sad state of affairs that less than 5% tied to the church. There's something messed up about that. Giving is to involve everyone. Well, you might say, well, I I don't make much. That's easy for you to say. You make more money than I do. Well, I don't think God asked that question. I don't need I don't make much. I need every bit. You know, you're free to have that mindset, but but just know that that isn't what God prescribed. Remember Jesus talking about the poor widow in Mark 12. He said she gave more than all the rest because she gave out of her poverty. Her giving really hurt. And your giving should hurt. You should feel it. It should be a sacrifice. So if you make more money, you're going to have to give more for it to hurt. You make less money, it doesn't take a whole lot for you to hurt. (laughs) It may take a buck. And boy, I'm hurting. That's what pure giving is, though. It It hurts. It's sacrificial. That's the most pure type of giving. In fact, you know, our, our, our thankfulness to the Lord for what He's done, I think is most clearly demonstrated by what we give when we have very little to give. How thankful are we for what the Lord has done in our lives? It's when we say, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll skip that coffee three days this week. And, and I'll give that money. And what if I, maybe I fast through a couple lunches this week and give that money that I'm spending on lunch every single day? What if I gave up Netflix? That's about what, like eight bucks a month or something? I will take it. The Lord will take it. You say, I don't have to give. I say, take a look at your life. Is that a true statement? 
God doesn't give you that out. I'm sorry. And yeah, it might be easy for me to say, because yeah, I might make more money than you. But I'm not here to tell you what I would do. I'm here to tell you what God says. And he does not give you the out of I don't make enough. He says give sacrificially. Luke 16, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you can't be faithful in money, who in the world is going to trust you with souls? Ouch. That's a hard saying, Jesus. It's a hard saying. 100% participation. Each one should lay aside a sum. The participants are all believers. Now next, uh, the question that we've all been waiting for. Without further ado, how much? How much is it going to be? How much is it going to take? How much do I need to give? What amount am I supposed to give? What is the requirement? And some of you may be thinking, just, just tell me how much to give, to be obedient, and I will pay that amount and no more. Just tell me. We're very objective thinkers many times, especially when it comes to uh, things of God, we want to feel like we're doing something to earn God's favor, which misses the point entirely. We want to know exactly how much, what is the requirement so that we can meet it. Because if you knew the requirement, God said this much for heaven, well, you'd probably do that. That's not how it works, and it has nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or not. Nothing to do with that. So go ahead. Tell us how much it's going to be. And some may be thinking, well, that's easy, 10%. I mean, tithes, the Bible says tithes. Tithe means 10%. Well, not so fast. It's actually not that easy. Actually, the Bible is much less specific on this issue on how much. And God has chosen not to limit us by saying this much and nothing more. See, the tithe is an Old Testament principle for the Jewish nation. And if you really want to use that Old Testament principle, then you might want to take a closer look, as we're about to do. Uh, see, Israel was a theocracy. Israel was a government run by God. And so the tithes were for the nation uh, to operate, to function appropriately. They were taxes, essentially. And you can look at the specifics in Leviticus 27 if you want to and Deuteronomy 14 if you want to. We're not going to do that. Uh, but actually the Israelites were asked to give about 23% of their income every year. About 23%. There was 10% for the Levites, 10% for the, for the festivals and things they would have. Um, and then another 10% every three years for the needy. So that's 23 and a third percent every year of your income. So how does tithing sound now? You like the tithe, eh? You like the tithe. 23 and a third percent of your income then. Okay, I like the tithe too. 
Again, for Israel, these were basically taxes. They gave, but listen to this, they gave over and above that. That was taxes. In fact, in Exodus 36, um, God, a few chapters later, had said, we're going to take up an offering for the tabernacle, um, and it's going to be from your heart, what you purpose in your heart. He took the limits off. He said, whatever you purpose in your heart. Well, in Exodus 36, God had to tell Moses to tell the people to stop giving. They gave so much. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? If God like sent an angel or something to say, guys, too much. Too much. That's too much. Your hearts are just too pure. Quit. Enough money already. That's what he did to the nation of Israel. This one particular time, they gave over and above. See, the principle, even in the Old Testament, was to give to the Lord from the heart, as the Israelites did. So then what do we do with this tithe thing? Well, it was instituted for Israel as part of God's law, but it's not a New Testament principle. It was their taxes, as we should pay taxes today. You should pay taxes. Let me say that very clearly. We don't evade the government. We pay taxes. That's what Christians do, period. So we pay our taxes. They paid their taxes. Um, and, you know, I often tell people with the tithe, uh, 10%, it's a good starting point. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Think about that. Think about 10%. It's, a good, it's just a good to, to get a number out there. Um, it's somewhere to just get you started, and, and then you decide from your heart from there. You know, whether that's less or more or whatever. It's not a New Testament command or even a New Testament principle. Uh, it's just somewhere that might, might help you get started with thinking about it. But the amount we give is a matter of the heart, as it always has been. That's the way God would like it. Each one must examine his own heart. And as we're examining our hearts, let me just give us a few verses to think about. And the first thing we need to think about is what Christ has done for us. Oh boy, don't make me think about that. This is going to cost me a lot. Yeah, think about what Christ, if you think about what Christ has done for you, well, if you were to give you, if you were to give Christ 100% of your possessions and your income, it wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket to how indebted we are to Him. Amen? It would not even be a drop in the bucket. Now, I'm not asking you to do that this morning. Neither is the Lord. He's not saying do that. Well, he could be, personally, to you. He didn't tell me that. Um, but if we were to give 100%, guys, it would never be enough. That's not the point. We're not earning something here. We are so indebted to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, those two chapters, go read those two chapters for a better, more comprehensive theology on giving. Uh, those two chapters are very instrumental in that. Um, but Paul's writing about these poor churches in Macedonia who gave this huge gift out of their poverty to supply um, to other churches. They had very little, and yet they sacrificed a lot to, to be able to give that sum. And from that section in chapters 8 and 9, we, we really gain a lot of good guidelines for examining our hearts. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, 
yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus' mindset is, I need to become poor so that others may become rich. That should be our driving force, guys, the gospel. As the gospel should penetrate our thoughts on, on relationships and career paths and philosophy and, and, and uh, politics and uh, racial relations and gender identity issues and all of these things, the gospel should be right in there, penetrating every fiber of how you think about those things. But it should also be the driving force behind our giving. I could never give enough because I'm so grateful for what he's done. He became poor physically, leaving heaven, hello heaven, to be born in a manger. But he also became poor in the sense that he had to take on my sin on the cross that he never committed. He had to become poor in righteousness for a moment. And he didn't deserve that. But someone had to pay for my sin. And it had to be him. So that I might be rich. So that I might somehow have access now to God. I would have relationship with God. And so for me to look at that and to get stingy with my money, that doesn't make sense. Giving is a gospel issue. I say that a lot, don't I? Is everything not a gospel issue? Yeah, it is. Because the gospel should penetrate everything in our lives, guys. 2 Corinthians 9 ends the section um, on giving with, with this praise. It says, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And that is, of course, the gift of salvation through Christ alone. What a gift that we could never repay. Our question ought to be, how can I sacrifice to give more as my Savior did? He gave everything. Not, what's the minimum that I can give and be blessed for? Boy, that shouldn't be the question. See, that first question shows an understanding of what happened on the cross. That second one shows a heart that's in danger, really. A heart that's either unsaved or has a huge gospel understanding issue. Our attitude on giving reveals a lot about where our heart is. Your attitude towards this message reveals a lot about where your heart is this morning. Additionally, when when we consider how much to give, we should be thinking about what's coming in the future. And as believers, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Guys, your sin is not going to be brought up when you stand before Jesus. It's been paid for. I think how we use our resources will be brought up. Those missed opportunities that we had with our resources, I wouldn't be surprised if that's brought up. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 8, in that section, uh, verse 10, um, he says, it's to your advantage that you give. It's to your advantage. Giving 
of my income sacrificially is to my advantage? I'm having trouble with that math, Paul. Well, one, it's to their, it's, it's to their advantage and to our advantage today because of rewards at the judgment seat. We're going to be rewarded based on our faithfulness. But secondly, I want us to see in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, uh, go ahead and flip over there, 2 Corinthians 9, um, verses 6 through 8, and look at that passage. Have it in front of you there. It says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I love that verse. He says, first of all, if you sow a little, you're going to get a little. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And it, you know, it really is amazing how God provides resources when you begin to live with open hands about your resources. It's amazing how God will provide. And then verse 8 is so powerful. All grace, all sufficiency in all things so that you may have an abundance for every good work. He's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you poor. Do you not think He's going to supply for those works that He predestined that you would walk in? Yeah, he's going to be there. He's going to provide. You can trust him. He's in control, and he can multiply my gift times a million. God asks us to be faithful and trusting in giving and to see what he does. That's what he asks. But let's be careful here to do it his way. Don't miss verse 7 there. Not grudgingly. And not because I have to. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And that word in, in, um, in the Greek is the word we get our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. God loves a hilarious giver. In other words, just a crazy giver. This guy gives like crazy. And the world says he's crazy. What is he doing selling that piece of land and giving it to the church? probably what they said about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. This man's insane. Well, maybe we'll just sell this old house and downsize and give the abundance to God. Well, maybe I'll just sell that old thing I don't use anymore. I mean, why not? Maybe I'll sell that thing I use every day, but someone could use it more. Let's get a little unlogical with our giving and see what God does. When we go outside our little logic box, that's when we see God move most powerfully. I want that to be clear because I'm, I'm number one. I want to stay in my little logic box, okay, about everything. And if it doesn't make 100% sense, I'm not sure I want to do it. 
And if I can't work out every little detail in every possible scenario, I'm not sure I want to do it. Well, if you want to stay in, in your logic box all the time, well, guys, you're just not going to see God in His, in His uh, supernatural power very often. And I'm not suggesting that we just check our brains at the door when we become Christians. You just give whatever, whenever, you know, just give everything, you know. I'm not saying you check your brain at the door. But I am suggesting that we serve a supernatural God who wants to work in supernatural ways in your life. That means in ways that we have to conclude that it's Him because it couldn't have been us. There's no other explanation except it was God. That's the way He wants to work in your life, I believe. That's the way He wants to work in this church, I believe. And so sometimes we, we overthink everything we do, so much so that we talk ourselves out of clear commands in Scripture because it's not logical to us. God says give to the needy. We'll give to the needy. God says take care of widows and orphans. We'll do it. Hey, don't worry about it so much. My goodness. Go love somebody. And let him worry about that. Yeah? Give. Diligently. Selflessly sacrificially, and let him worry about it. Stop worrying about it so much, guys. Just begin to examine your heart and give out of your heart in response to this wonderful gospel news that has saved you. Let that drive you. Again, giving with a pure heart. He says, Lord, I, I, know, I know salvation isn't about me earning it, but still, I'm so thankful. Boy, I'm so grateful for what you've done. Lord, let me give to you. Let me give to your kingdom. Let's be hilarious in our giving, guys. Let the world point and mock and laugh and say, those guys are idiots. Anytime the world calls you an idiot, guys, take it as a compliment if it's for this reason. Don't do something that's valid. <laughs> but if it's for the reason of following Christ radically, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. And so I'm sorry, I cannot give you this 10% number and just be done with it. I can't do it. I can't give you any number and just be done with it. I can tell you that our main text here in 1 Corinthians 16 says, as he may prosper, which probably indicates uh, some sort of looking at your income. You know, people that give more or people that make more, you, you know, probably there's, there's a greater responsibility for you, yes. That should have something to do with it. But when deciding on this amount, consider the cross. Consider the, sac consider the sacrifice he made. Consider what's coming for you in heaven. Consider Jesus' guidance on the issue. Consider how huge our God is. 
and that he promises to equip you for every good work. And that's all you're here for anyway. That's all you're here for anyway. For those good works that he will equip you for. He absolutely will. That resurrection theology should immerse our decisions on giving. You know, he's raised Jesus from the dead. Can I not trust him wholeheartedly with my money? Very quickly, uh, final question here. How is the money to be handled? And we're, uh, we're out of time. So let me uh, do this very quickly. The answer is very carefully with much accountability. Paul says in verse 3 that he's not going to touch the money. It's to be delivered by individuals whom the church approves, trusted individuals within the church. As givers in the church, we have a right to expect that our gifts are used wisely and for God's kingdom. You have a right to expect that when you give to this church. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say that I don't, I don't have anything to do with the money in this church. I see the statement. I see what is spent. Um, I can see everything that's spent. Uh, but I can't write a check if I wanted to. I don't have that access. I don't want that access. Um, we want to be a church that, that treats the church account with much seriousness and reverence, with accountability, with full disclosure. There's nothing to hide. Nothing to hide at all. And that's what you should expect. That's what you should expect as a church member. How many churches have been torn apart because of some deception with money? A lot. How many churches, how many individuals' lives have been torn apart because of uh, deception with money? How many wonderful ministries that could have been? Oh, but they weren't careful about the money thing. We want to be careful. And it's even our, uh, still, we want to ask these questions to each other. Are we being careful enough? Let's be more careful. Not because we don't trust each other or because, you know, whatever, we don't trust somebody, but because we just want to make sure we have every layer of accountability on this, guys. It's, it's your money. I'm not here to blow it. I want it to be multiplied by the Lord. I want it to be used for His purposes. And Stephen does too. And so we, we still, we want to daily ask this. How are we doing in the area of accountability with money? Let's get more. Let's get more accountable. How about more? You cannot have enough within the church. So we've looked at the purpose, the procedure, the participants, the amount, the accountability of giving. giving and, uh, you know, honestly, there's a lot more we could look at if we had time. This barely scratches the surface of giving. Um, but hopefully it helps you this morning. Uh, giving is ultimately, it's an outward demonstration of an inward reality. Okay? Um, and as we close this morning, I really want to focus on that inward reality. We can't get this giving thing right, or anything else right for that matter, if our hearts are not first right with Christ. Okay? We can't. When talking about those poor uh, Macedonian churches who gave from their poverty in 2 Corinthians 8. Again, go read that chapter. Go read chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but Paul writes in verse 5 of, of, of uh, chapter 8, 
He says that they first gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. That's why they were able to give so much. Because they had given themselves completely to the Lord. These believers decided that all they had was God's. But they also decided that all they were was God's. It's all yours, Lord. I surrender all. They gave themselves completely to the Lord and to His service. And I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you surrendered all to Christ? A lot can be said about where our hearts are, by how we respond to this message, to what God's saying in His Word. Not my words, but what God's saying in His Word about money. Is it an attitude that says, they're talking about taking my money again at church. Or is it an attitude that says, I'm so eternally grateful for what Jesus did on that cross. I want his name to be made great all over the world. I want these five billion, five billion people that have never heard his name to know him. How can I give more than that? More of my money, more of my resources, more of my heart. How can I give more? I want you to bow your heads and and close your eyes, if you will, as we close. God has given us a gift through Jesus that can never be repaid. He's, He's granted us eternal life through His Son in paradise with Him. And all we've done is sinned and sinned and kept on sinning against Him. Yet His love and His sacrifice remain. And God wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's His desire. He's calling us to relationship with Him this morning. I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day. And it's about repentance, of st- repentance and faith. Repenting of sin with a sincere heart. Lord, I am so sorry for that sin that's nailed you to the cross. And then a surrendering, like we just talked about. Surrendering in faith. Lord, I give you my life. I ask you to save me. To come in and live with me. And to rule me. Lord, rule my life. Be master. That is salvation. So maybe you need to, in these few closing moments, say that prayer, cry out to God, Lord, I need you to save me. And for those that are already Christians, this is a good moment to just examine our hearts. Are we all in for Christ's kingdom? Or is there some level of hesitancy? Have you surrendered all this morning? Go ahead and close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this church family. So good to be in fellowship with them this morning, Lord. So good to be in fellowship with you this morning. What a sweet fellowship we've had at this church this morning. We give you praise and honor for it.
Lord, we ask you to uh, just pierce our hearts with your words this morning. About giving in particular. Lord, even, even above that, Lord, about where our hearts stand before you this morning. About if we are truly surrendered to you or not. Lord, I pray for those who are pondering this question right now, Lord. And I pray that you would lead them as they surrender their lives to you, Lord. As they maybe recommit their lives to you, Lord. And we, Lord, convict each one of us on, on how much we need to be giving, Lord. On how we need to change giving of our money, Lord, or of our resources or whatever. On, on the things in our lives that are just unnecessary that we need to give up. And that we're right now using it, using as an excuse for not giving. Lord, convict us on those things. Convict myself on those things, Lord. Those things that are prohibiting me from, from, from giving what you truly desire, Lord, if it's anything. We ask you to convict, Lord. We thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have access through his precious blood. And I pray that if there's one um, that doesn't know him this morning, that you would please save them. Please save them, Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Um, we thank you for what you're doing in India. We thank you for this potential partnership that we can have um, in what's going on over there, Lord. And we ask you to give us wisdom in that. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.